welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast, where every week we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under, with your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio. Hello and welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. I'm your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio. And today we are here to discuss the finale of season two titled The Last Time. I'm back again with David Green, who was here for the last two episodes. David, how you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? Not bad. So we're finally here at the end of season two. Yeah. I was kind of surprised with myself last season. Finished, not finishing season one, but like having enough interest. Because, you know, like just you put something out and it's like, I wonder if anyone's even going to care. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, it's kind of cool that I've I've I have enough interest to finish uh, the first two seasons, and you're a big part of that, you know, too. It's uh, just because you know you wrote those emails and just yeah. You know, now, <laughs> now you you gobbled up the last three episodes of the series, yeah. all of this season. Thoughts thoughts on the finale? Like you know, I, I know we're gonna get get into it, but. I guess just as a whole. You know, part of me kind of wishes... Like, we, we talked about how the previous episode almost could have been the finale. I sort of wish they had taken these two episodes and, and kind of smooshed them together somehow. Mm-hmm. Because this episode is actually... It, it, it's great, and it accomplishes what it needs to. But the previous episode really... It really felt like the finale, you know? Yeah. Now, what's interesting because I was reading on on like message boards for this episode, and and it, it's a it's a fairly good question that's never ever crossed my mind. But you take what happened last season, and you take what happens this season. Uh-huh. This kind of could have been the end to the series. Uh, it's sort of I don't know if you ever knew like uh how Breaking Bad. You watched Breaking Bad? Yeah. No, I, I you did. Uh, the reason why. That season two finale, if you remember with the plane and all of that that happened. Yeah. Uh, part of that, there was talk that that could have been the end of the series because they didn't know they were renewed for a third season. Okay. And if you look at Breaking Bad as, uh, I believe the first season is seven episodes and the last one's 13. So a 20 episode series, it kind of works because you get resolution to mostly everything, mm-hmm. right? Kind of like this here, when I, when I was reading through message boards and stuff, I was like, wow, you know, this could kind of work as a series. Because you, you, you do, uh, for everything that this finale is in relation to the episode before, everything does wrap up with one giant, huge, well, what's next? That being Nate. But the idea of everything else being... Uh, Kind of like, you know, all encapsulating. What, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, at the end of the episode, they could have dissolved to white and said, Nate Fisher, X year to X year. And right. it, and he could have been the final death, you know. And, right. and yeah, and it would have been really easy to end it that way. And then I read somewhere, and then I can't really talk about it too much because there's a spoiler involved, but Alan Ball was on the record as saying that some of next season is filler for what eventually happens in the series. Okay. So that being said, there there is like a a finite, you know, dealing with uh this this series. We talked off mic uh basically that I found I t- uh, my first watching of the episode and then I had messaged you that 
I thought the first half of this finale was rather fast paced for six feet under. Mm-hmm. And you kind of came back and were like, yeah, it's definitely not. Right. Well, I mean, I think it's just our different perspectives on it because no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm so invested in the Nate Brenda stuff and the David Keith stuff, and that's most of like the the second half of it. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm interested in in Nate and Claire and in Ruth, but the other two storylines were actually a little more interesting to me. Yeah. There's I, it was right around the twenty minute mark and, and I guess I'll, I'll I'll find it while we're while we're watch while I'm watching and talking about the episode because there's I was like oh this is where it slows down and it's at the twenty minute mark and I forget what story happens but for me watching it those first twenty minutes was like there was just like a lot happening and then you get like the final forty minutes where it was just kind of all the actions take place uh, I guess with that being said we could get into the episode, our finale episode of season two, aired June second, two thousand two, and was actually directed by Alan Ball. Uh, Alan Ball did a commentary on this episode, and <laughs> again, like me and David were talking off mic, uh, I have sometimes have a problem with commentaries because Alan Ball, if you if you relate it to Jill Soloway's commentary, uh, the episode prior. Alan Ball's commentary is so, it's just patting everyone on the back. You know, the actors are great, the writers are great, and that's great, you know, and all that, but I want, like, more behind-the-scenes stuff. I like I like when they tell me, like, uh, behind that wall is actually the embalming room, you know, because, yeah. like, these are all set designs and everything. Um, kind of like how you said on, um, if it wasn't, yeah, it was last episode that the reason why that other hearse was there was probably because they had two on set, you yeah, know. Yeah, they had a backup. <laughs> and I always like that kind of stuff. Um, but I'll throw in some stuff here and there. He does he does talk about the storyline a little bit. Um, but, you know, we'll get into it. But our death capsule starts out. It starts out right on Nate. The camera's, like, right above him. Mm-hmm. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. This is the, probably the first time we've seen a Fisher in the death capsule, if you take away the, the pilot episode. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, I read something online about that. That Yeah, this right. is... And it starts out with Nate waking up. Uh, the, the way the camera's over him... Now now I have the, the, uh, the knowledge of what Alan Ball was trying to do here, but how the camera just pans in on him for like the first 10 seconds of the episode. Mm-hmm. Did you take away anything from that? Uh, no, not really. I just, you know, I mean, it was an interesting angle, but I didn't take any, you know, bigger meaning from it. Yeah, me neither. And then uh, the first thing Alan Ball says is like, this was supposed to be a little fake out that it could have been Nate. Oh, okay. Who dies at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Now now when you watch it, it's like, oh, I kind of see it. Because then the clock says eight. I have here eight oh, oh, 806. The clock has 806. And I was like, huh, I wonder if that's referencing something. It seems like that was just happenstance. Uh but yeah, I, I thought it was, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, Nate could have opened his eyes and then closed his eyes, and we could have gotten the, you know, the the card, you know, Nate Fisher. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> and Nate comes downstairs, and after some bickering about Nate not having seen his child, he tells Ruth to not be so involved. Uh, it's kind of odd. Nate still hasn't seen his daughter yet. No. I think that after everything that happened with Brenda, he's he's probably just in a weird headspace right now. You know, I. I do think that it is it, yeah, it is a little odd, but I can kind of forgive him because of what happened in the previous episode, you know. And, and I guess this idea sort of lends credence to Brenda's idea that like, if if kind of like why Nate doesn't get so involved is because like he doesn't 
he doesn't want to put the not not the effort into it, but I, I guess the idea that he's he, you know he's more willing to go see Aaron mm-hmm. who dies than he is his own daughter because he knows there's like a a cap on that. Well, you know, yeah, is that there, fair to say? Yeah, there's a there's a clock ticking on Aaron. Right, right, and he's you know he's seen him multiple times already before he's even seen his own daughter. Uh, like I said, you know, Nate takes a ride on his motorcycle and I guess to finally give this, this Aaron character his complete story, we see him pass away. Mm-hmm. The, the terminology as he's dying, you know, it's rather generic when you have it out on paper, but just this thing of like, you know, going to the light and it's, I don't see the fucking light, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, that, that was such a, that was such a powerful moment, you know, for that actor. Scary. Because, you know, he's, he's terrified, you know, there's no light, there's no fucking light. And Nate kind of has this moment where he, you know, he starts crying, and you know, I, I kind of wonder, is this the first time he's ever actually witnessed a death? Uh, that's a great question because I was like, you know, people, let's just say, t- taking it to funeral directors, you think funeral directors, we'd seen this before, but I, I've never seen someone die, and my mother died in my our own house; she was sick. Uh, have you ever seen someone die? Like, no, I've eyes ne- on them. No, I've never actually witnessed someone die. Yeah, yeah, me neither, and I that I thought that too. It's like, oh man, I I I wonder if people think funeral directors have seen people die, but I mean, this guy died right in Nate's arms, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, I have to imagine this is the first time Nate has seen that. And you know, it's uh, in my notes. I say, death has become a visceral experience for Nate, and he doesn't want it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how how scary or how fitting. Is it for Nate, the the closest character to death in this in this show, and you know he literally held death in his arms, you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's just scary stuff when he's like, I don't see the fucking light, and Nate's like, I'm here, and the guy's like, yeah. well, What does it matter that you're here? I don't even know you, you know. Uh, there's no solace in death for this, you know, for this man. It's I'm dying, and so what, you know? Mm-hmm. That, that's. It's great, like you said, powerful, but also kind of scary. Oh, yeah. And our episode starts out with an inspection from Mr. Gerson of the DCA. I never took the time to write down what the DCA is. I'm trying to... Department of California Actions. I don't know what it is. I have no idea. (laughs) Yeah, and I don't think it matters. And uh, when the investigator makes his way down to the embalming room, we see Rico and Vanessa are... Eating lunch. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, of all spots at a funeral home to eat, while Rico is still wearing his apron. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't... I guess, again, I always... It's, it's such a repeating thing I say. It's You always have to give the show its liberties, but... I, I don't get even Vanessa wanting to be like, hey, I'm going to grab lunch. Well, Let's yeah. Let's go to the embalming room. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> it's just weird and gross. Yeah, and that's the thing. Yeah, and it's gross. And uh, the idea that there's a table in the embalming room for them to eat. Like, if you just keep thinking about it, it's well, like, yeah. What the hell's and going if you on? and if you notice, there there's like a tray with coffee cups and utensils, and so eating down there is, or at least drinking coffee down there, is something that you know it happens. <laughs> yeah, and, and I've been in a lot of embalming rooms in my short career. I've never seen this. You know, they say you're not allowed to bring food or drink into the embalming room. Mm-hmm. I am someone who always has water with me, mm-hmm. but that's like a, a capped, you know, a capped uh, uh, a drink. Uh, I could never imagine bringing a sandwich in there and just having it hanging out. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I had a question about uh, Aaron. He's on the table and mm-hmm. he's being embalmed. 
but he's going to be cremated. Like, would you mm-hmm. actually need to be embalmed to be cremated? Uh, that that's funny you say that, and it's something. It's like a continuous fight as as funeral as the funeral industry rather that we're facing. Uh, cremation is only the final form of disposition, mm-hmm. meaning it's it's what happens at the end. Okay. Whether you're embalmed or not does not have to do anything with how your your body is being disposed of. Uh, I, I do want to say, I don't believe he was being embalmed. I think he was just on the table. Oh, okay. Which he might have just been washed down and cleaned up. But to, to, to take your point further, uh, you can have your whole, you know, your, your, your two-day visitation, you, you go to church and everything, and it's really simple. At the end, after your church service or, or your service at the funeral home, instead of going to the cemetery... You just go to the crematory. Mm-hmm. Like the idea of being embalmed and cremated don't necessarily like they don't go hand in hand. It's not like cremation, no embalming. You know, okay. cremation is just a, a different form. Instead of again, like I said, instead of going to the cemetery, you would just go to the crematory. Everything okay. else remains the same. So um, yeah, because I think even to here too is because they, they didn't charge him for re, they get a fine for uh, being charged for refrigeration. Mm-hmm. I'll rewatch the scene here. I have it playing, but I don't think he was being embalmed. But here we see uh, there's some backflow on the floor. And at first I thought, oh, this has never happened to me in my career. And then I remember, yep, it definitely has happened to me. (laughs) Uh, A little bit more than this. This is like baby, baby backflow, you know. Um, I've definitely seen more where you just kind of have to throw a sheet on top of the drain just to sort of soak up that stuff. Ew. Um, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I would not make a good funeral director, Victor. I, you know, I, I, I could not handle that. I'm sorry. It's so, you know, what's funny about it? It's like I totally can, and you can't. Uh, it's just, it's just funny how people take different things. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, like it's, it's, it's really nothing. That's just fluid in my eyes. Understanding it's something more. Uh, I mean, we use the same drains and sinks and as everyone else. You know, yeah. it's not like what we, the blood and everything, it's not like it goes through some special filter before it goes to your natural, your, your, your waste and your uh, community, whatever, you know, uh-huh. um, uh, a, a, a total, <laughs> we always talk about old man jokes or dad jokes regarding the industry. Uh, something that only old men say when they come into the funeral home is, you know, my, my father told me never to drink water from a funeral home as <laughs> if our water is contaminated differently than the one in your house. But I get it. I get yeah. it why it makes sense, you know. <laughs> uh, so like I was saying, this prompts the Fishers to shut down the funeral home for a bit. And they ask Rico to take a side gig in the meantime. I don't know what kind of side gig Rico could just pick up. Um, well, I mean, we'll he, see what, he, got a, uh-huh. he got the other job with Kroner for pretty easily for a little while there, right? That's true. Uh, I guess embalming side work. Yeah. Um, but, you know, now that Kroner... I guess those funeral homes, that, you know, that's something, too, I wanted to talk about. This this idea that Kroner just folded, like, well, they didn't fold. They just filed for bankruptcy, right? It's uh-huh. not like the company went under. But were they going to buy Fisher Funeral Home and then just then file for bankruptcy? Like, that, they were that close to bankruptcy, right? Well, yeah, um, and, and I thought it was really funny, too, because I thought that Kroner was actually doing really well. Yeah, it's odd, and, and and to my memory, this is kind of where the Kroner, like, I don't think they say Kroner again for the next three seasons, uh, yeah, three seasons, I, I don't believe they do, right? Like, that's it, this is really the end of Kroner. Well, yeah, I mean, at the end of the, the our previous episode, I actually said that I thought it was kind of sloppy the way they got rid of Kroner that quickly, 
And, yeah, and this, yeah, and this right. is sort of what I was talking about. Yeah, because it's not even not even something that, you know, I guess the last mention is now Kroner can't even buy us out now. Mm-hmm. I, you know, those funeral homes don't fold. They don't just close shop. Uh, but I, I don't think I don't think filing for bankruptcy is is out of business. Right. I think it's just like a save face yeah. for the business. Right. Uh, we can move on to Claire and a Claire dream that we haven't seen in a while, you know, where she goes next level into her own mind, whatnot. Uh-huh. And she is auditioning for the Lax School, and she's in this big intimidating room with... Uh, is this the exact song from Flashdance? I believe so it is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was telling David off mic, I did not know what scene this was, what movie this was imitating, but we find out that... I'm sorry, I found out on the commentary, Alan Ball said that they were giving a nod to Flashdance. Mm-hmm. Part of me thought this was real, <laughs> until she pulls the leg off then obviously <laughs> you know yeah yeah uh but i was like oh man this is crazy because you know uh, in art school and whatever um and that's a body double that's not actual lauren ambrose dancing which is kind of crazy because it looks freaking exactly like well, her, yeah you i mean know? generally when when you see a character dancing especially something that complicated in a, in a tv show if you don't actually see their face and you never actually see her face right it, right 9 times out of 10 it's going to be a you know a professional dancer right right uh this dream is this just to show how nervous she is how much inside of her head she is yeah i think so right like just this this extreme wild i'm gonna have to take off my leg oh i guess break a leg right yeah no, actually i, guess, I, I have that in my nose break, break a leg okay. yeah <laughs> and we see she goes into the actual interview and claire has a freak out or, or a breakdown of sorts yeah my question to you is why you know if she hadn't brought it up to david later on in the episode i would think that she was actually being manipulative you know, try wow. because you'll notice she, there there are no actual tears, and it and it sort of, it does come out of nowhere. So mm-hmm. you know, it's like I'm I've blown this interview. I may as well throw a hail mary, basically. Uh, two things. Uh, I just passed over the scene. Rico is embalming Aaron. Okay. So you were right on that. Uh, he didn't have any services, so I I don't understand why he was embalmed. Uh. Something like direct cremation is when you go, there is no embalming. That's what they call it, direct cremation, like, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, here he's being embalmed, and he's, he's he goes from here straight to the crematory. So I don't understand why he was being embalmed here, but I guess that's something for, for well, I guess that's it, right? Yeah. Uh, to your point, I was, the manipulative, I didn't find that because it, it seemed rather, it wasn't, in, it's not in Claire's, character to do that but i i wouldn't put it past her either yeah um i i at first when i i had seen it i just thought it was just like that extreme nervousness where you just need to over explain yourself and mm-hmm. you just keep flubbing up you're like you know you're kind of slipping on in your own way which i get but then when she went to the extreme breakdown and the crying and everything uh according to the commentary and this is where alan ball helps us out it was basically saying how she has yet to fully grieve her father dying. Okay. So it's just that like random times like this, it's just going to come out because she's never totally accepted it or, or grieved over it, you know? Which which I guess kind of makes sense and lends credence to it, right? Well, I mean, the, the other reason that I thought that she was, you know, being manipulative is 
she says that, and you know, unless I'm forgetting something, and other than that night with Parker, she said she started making things after her father's death, but we haven't really seen her make anything. You know, <laughs> right, so it's, right. it, it's almost like something else she just pulled out of her head. True, know? true, true. But, you know. Yeah, and you know what we can't forget either? She is supposed to be 18. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, who knows what's going on, right? Yeah. David comes home to Keith's with an air purifier for Taylor, and we learn Keith has sent Taylor with his parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I kind of just jotted this down because, I, you know, I definitely we, we could get into it a lot more later, but uh, Keith not even telling David about it, you know, yeah. where he just comes home and Taylor's gone. Uh, where, where do you stand on that? Like, should does David have a right to know? Is that... I think that David does because, you know, he was... He was looking at a future where he could he could have been sort of a a second father type figure to Taylor. I mean, he was he was kind of stepping into that role, and absolutely. I, and so, yeah, I think he had a right to know and have input on it. Yeah, I just found that even I was a little like, yo, what the hell? Like, I think David definitely deserves to know, or at least a mention. You know, mm-hmm. coming home w- with something for Taylor, and it's not even you know. Um, but yeah, we we definitely could get into that later. And we see Brenda is at sex addiction therapy, mm-hmm. and this is actually a thing. Oh like, yeah. Oh wow. See, I thought it was kind of, I thought it was like a thing, but it's not as known, popular, or whatever. Uh, well, I mean, it's not as well known as like Narcotics Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous, but yes, yeah, Sexaholics Anonymous does exist. I feel like if I was a sexaholic, that's I, I guess the perfect place to go <laughs> like that's exactly where i would want to go I, I guess it's not that much different from being an addict in, in whatever field you're an addict in yeah that would be the best place to go to meet other people um well god bless them and here we see brenda she's under the disguise of candace again and she meets scott who we saw was one of the first men where brenda started having this this uh outlandish behavior or mm-hmm. backlash behavior of sorts yeah they have a little convo and they have you know lunch at brenda's did, did you pull anything away from this you know i don't know uh-huh. I, I thought that since they were both recovering sex addicts the idea of them being alone in her house was probably not a good idea you know <laughs> you know yeah it's like two two recovering alcoholics do you want to go to the bar and just eat wings you yeah know? exactly like, <laughs> um and over the course of the scene, I, I kind of felt like they, they even started flirting a little bit. No, they did, because definitely, because yeah. he even says, like, he's like, man, all I would think about right now is this woman in front of me and take her clothes off. And mm-hmm. uh, I wonder how strong that addiction is, as if it were drugs or, or alcohol, you know, because you need to kind of go get alcohol or go get drugs, whatever. Um, they could have had sex right there. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, in something that the guy who was speaking in the meeting said, you know, he, he didn't even masturbate. So for a sexaholic to to satisfy their need, at least on some level, you don't even need another person. That's true. That's true. Uh, a question Scott mentions that Brenda has a job she hates. Is Brenda still a massage therapist? That's my understanding. Because <laughs> I mean, usually they show that, uh, and, and you know, all we've really seen of Brenda in these, in these past however many episodes is just her fucking going off the rails. Um, but yeah, when she did the job she hates, I was like, huh. So I guess she's still a massage therapist. Yeah. Interesting. Nate goes to see Doctor DiPaolo, and he, the doctor, seems to be giving all the opposite info he gave Nate in last season's finale. 
this doctor seemed to be more uh he wanted to be more right than he was addressing the situation did you get that yeah like <laughs> it just didn't matter what was currently going on he was just you know that's what i told you that doesn't seem right and but here we learn to see that uh nate has a bleed in his brain mm-hmm. and now nate has to opt for surgery uh kind of scary and 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 i guess furthermore man ha- how uncomforting of a doctor that is well yeah i mean it, it if a doctor told me surprise you have to have surgery in in a couple of days especially on your brain for goodness sake that would scare the hell out of me yeah like i'm surprised nate isn't more scared than he was during the episode yeah you know? later we finally see that nate gets to push the button on the cremation of aaron mm-hmm. fulfilling his wish uh, here, the crematory operator speaks about uh, cremator remains and how a dad saw a tooth in his child's cremains. And uh, just something I wanted to add here as, as like, you know, the funeral director notes, uh, cremator remains are not actually ashes, like people say, mm-hmm. um, or the terminology, like right, ashes. Uh, the closest, te- and I may have said this before on the podcast, but this just kind of brought it up in me. Uh, the closest texture I can describe what it is is actually like crushed seashells. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like, there is bone fragments, not huge, just, you know, tiny ones, but they're still bone fragments. Uh, it, it's more chunky than it is like ash or sand. Yeah. Uh, but here's where we see that, you know, this this dead hope that this, this crematory operator says propels Nate to see his daughter. Uh, anything from this, this crematory scene? I just sort of thought that the technician, I just thought he was kind of funny. You know, it's, and, <laughs> you know, when he talks about how men are the new women and, you know, I just thought he was, that is a funny line. <laughs> yeah. I just thought he was kind of goofy. And, and he brought up the case of the crematorium in, um, in Georgia. Yeah. And that, that was a real case. I remember when that happened. Is that the one where they weren't, they weren't cremating bodies, but they said they were? Yeah. What and, was that case? Yeah. And I think they were dumping bodies in a nearby swamp, basically. Oh. God, yes, yeah. yes, you're right, you're right. Oh, God. Uh, there's a scene here where he has to go reposition the body so the burners are on the right part of the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he opens the, the crematory door and and he's kind of in there with like a rake just repositioning the body. Uh, for a, Again, I'm just adding this on behalf of Alan Ball's commentary. He says that that was his favorite part. That's his favorite scene in the episode. What that matters to you does I don't know, but I just thought it was worth mentioning. You know, the director of the episode. Well, you know, um, and and again, death sort of becomes a, a a real experience for Nate in that moment. I think because he sees this body in the in the thing and is burning, and you know, the look on his face is. It, I mean, he's he's disgusted, but at the same time, it's like, dude, <laughs> you know. Yeah, like that's fucking death. That, yeah, that's, that's right death. There. His face seemed to see. Like he saw something, or and furthermore, he smelled something. Uh-huh. I've never seen. I've seen, you know, I've seen the. It, it's kind of funny to see. Not funny. Uh, after cremation is done, and you kind of rake in all the cremated remains, uh, it's kind of crazy to see because you kind of see some of the rib cage mm-hmm. bones. Yeah, and you just see like what you know where they, they were cremated. Uh, I've never seen the actual burning. You know, like the actual burning of the, the flesh and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it was too soon for Nate to actually see that because it looked like he was only in there for a few seconds. But uh, So this uh, prompts Nate to go see his daughter and we see Lisa, Maya, and Ruth here. Uh, 
part of this scene, uh, I've never seen Ruth this proactive and, and happy and jubilant. Mm-hmm. And even like her hair is down, you know, and she's just she's just talking with people on the phone. Oh, yeah. I, I liked it from Nate, uh, Nate uh, Ruth. You know, it was kind of sweet just to see her so happy, I guess. Yeah, and and I, I really liked the the moment in the previous episode when, or not previous, the previous scene where uh, Nate comes in and asks if she's on the way to go see Lisa, and she snaps, I have every right to see my granddaughter. You know, and then, and then, <laughs> yeah, she, and yeah. then she looks shocked that Nate wants to come along, you know? Yeah, and I kind of like that, too. It's like, you're going to see Lisa? She's like, yeah, you know? He's like, great, I'm coming. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a nice scene between them. Lisa, I feel like Lisa, her destiny in life was to be a mother. Yeah. She just feels so motherly. And she's definitely a weird mother. Yeah, she like <laughs> yeah, she's kind of got the new agey thing going, but you know, right. but yeah, she's very motherly. Yeah, I just was like, oh god, what what a, what what a great mother, right? Yeah, and then here we finally get to see Nate hold his daughter. Yeah, so Nate and Ruth leave Lisa's, and I I feel like this is the first Ruth and Nate car scene. Uh, Nate starts to flare up, and I kind of forgotten that Nate hasn't told Ruth about his AVM yet. Yeah, and do you know? You, and do you know what? Uh-huh. And do you know what triggered him to do that? What? No. It was. It was in the previous scene when Nate was. Uh, yeah, Nate was holding Maya, and Ruth takes the picture, and she says, uh, "You'll thank oh, me when you're old." Shit. And that's when he really starts to freak out. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Uh, I, but the the idea of that is that like. I just I, I thought everyone knew and it kind of went by went over my head that <laughs> this this poor woman doesn't even know this about her son yet and it's not even like he tells her and it's like all right well let's let's work about it it's like yeah and I have to get surgery in a few days yeah. you know <laughs> this poor woman um, I, I just felt really sad for her that that she she had to find this out the last way the last one to find it out and and in really this just way. a couple of days before. Yeah, yeah. My, my God. And Ruth, still with her incessant planning, is planning the big day of Claire's graduation and Nate's surgery. Mm-hmm. For whatever odd reason, Ruth demands Claire attends her graduation in, in lieu of being with Nate. Yeah. Why? I I don't know. <laughs> I think that's pretty nuts. You know, it's like uh, it's like I think Claire says later on, "This is this is insane. We're not going to go to my graduation." I just, I don't even, and, and like Claire says, it's like, it's not even, it's, it, you're the only person this is a big deal yeah. for is you. Like, yeah. Uh, I, I didn't even go to my mortuary school graduation. Uh, at the time I was kind of, you know, I was in Pittsburgh, but I was also, I was living in New York, but I was going to school in Pittsburgh and it was like, as, as the last second I could get away from Pittsburgh, I did. How how little or inconsequential is a high school graduation? Yeah. Looking back, right? Oh yeah. And it's I like that it's sort of mature of Claire to be like, who the fuck cares? You know, I guess Claire's kind of checked out of high school a long time ago. So yeah, I mean, honestly, I barely even remember my graduation. I yeah. mean, man, if 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 you're if for some ungodforsaken reason you're you're a 17 year old who hasn't graduated high school yet and you're listening to this, yeah. <laughs> If you have movie tickets to to anything, just go. Oh, high school graduation. Yeah, we we could do a whole podcast episode about what we would tell seventeen year olds. <laughs> so much shit doesn't matter. Yeah, you know, you're, you're a thousand percent right. 
I have one more thing to say about the kitchen scene, by the way, before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Ruth explodes and says, she's the mother here and this is what we're doing. And then she kind of, she's quite kind of quiet for a second and says, and who wants milk? Does anyone want milk? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I, I really wish they, before she asks, uh, who wants milk? I kind of wish they had, they had had Ruth shout, I am speaking fiercely from the eye <laughs> as a callback to the plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, during that, when she's yelling at everyone, I love that she yelled at David and was like, whatever, 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 and your limited point of view. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and we kind of went over earlier in the season. Uh, maybe it was last season. Maybe it was this season. I can't remember, but... I feel like if, if anyone has the limited point of view, it's it's uh, Ruth, and it's just because she's simply older, you know, yeah. it's just a, a lifetime of of shaping that 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 point of view, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I have that in my notes too. Uh, does anyone want milk? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those so really Ruth. funny six feet under, you know, kind of humor yeah, moments. You know? Definitely, definitely. And probably one of the most touching scenes of this finale, Nate is making pre-arrangements in case anything happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought it was kind of just like you, you know, it's funny here. I have in my notes and just like you keep saying, like Nate is facing death. I have here that Nate was literally trying to run away from death in last season's finale. Mm -hmm. If you notice, once he gets the news of the AVM, he just goes on this crazy run that takes him, you know, wherever. And his shirt is soaked from running so much. And here, you know, we see him kind of taking proactive steps in the event of death. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of where, when, when I was watching the episode and having read on message boards the idea that this could be a, a, a series finale, not necessarily a season, like that's a character arc, you know, from the start wanting nothing to do with it to the end of, you know, having to face planning. it. Right, planning yeah. your own death, and they kind of do that. We'll, we'll get to it in the end, but they do that montage—not a montage, but just that little tour of the funeral home oh, right before yeah. Nate goes to surgery. Um, like, yeah, that just kind of felt like a series ending, you know. But here, Nate and David talking about and and doing this this these prearrangements. I mean, just the interaction between them. You know, watching the show, you kind of forget that they're brothers. They're just they're, yeah. they're kind of characters, but you forget like they, they grew up together. You know they probably they know so many people and they probably have so many stories together. Yeah. You know, and we could kind of see that and feel that here. If not if not the history, just the the idea that we are brothers. You know, mm-hmm. that's something though I couldn't shake at the end of the scene when David goes to kind of console Nate. Mm-hmm. I felt like up until that point, I felt like he was a brother. When he goes to console him, it just felt like funeral director David. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just the way he didn't. If he would have, if he would have just did the little tissue box forward thing, yeah, threw my remote at the TV. But even just the way he kind of hugs him and understanding that it's awkward in that position, it just felt so. This is what I do, yeah. you know. But I, I know, I know the scene meant more than that. It's my job to do this. <laughs> yeah. And this is not so well. I, I did pick up on this is that, and it's like I said, uh, well, again, whether it's less episode or episode before that, no matter how close people are, there's always an infinite distance between them. Mm-hmm. The thing about the Fishers, and for whatever reason, is that they are unable to like feel emotions with each other, the, the, their entire emotions are shut down between them. I don't. This episode kind of brings it up. Go ahead. I don't know that it, that that's it. I think that they just don't have the 
they don't know how to express their emotions. You know, it's... Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I kind of agree with you, but then I, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because the next scene, David is at Keith's. Yeah. And before Keith gets home, he's crying. Yeah. And so something that reaffirmed this thought was Alan Ball was like, uh, on the commentary, that David's crying here when he should have been crying with Nate. Yeah. You know? Um, so it's it's like, it's not that David can't cry, it's just that he can't cry with him. I'm thinking back to the episode of Brotherhood, where it felt so out of, like, it just felt weird seeing it where, where uh, Nate tells David, I love you. Yeah. You know, it's just so like this, it, it just, it, it, I wish you could see my body, I'm just doing this weird body motion of, it just like, it, it just, it, I feel like it's so unnatural for them to do it with each other, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, it, well, uh-huh. I, I think we're both kind of, I think we're both kind of right here, right? It, it's, yeah, yeah. You know, it, they don't know how to express it with each other, you know? And I, yeah. and I yeah. think that's why it was such a big moment for David when Nate, you know, said, I love you, man, or, you know, whatever it was, because mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's not something that, happens around Fisher and Sons, you know? Yeah. Because even, too, we, we get a lot of ca- Fisher character moments together. That that kind of makes it feel like a finale. Mm-hmm. I, I just mean a finale for the season, not for the series. Because, um, you know, you get, like, you get, you get uh, David and Claire. You get Nate and Claire. Everyone gets their own scene together where they, they do share some emotion, you know? Yeah. But back to David at Keith's, like I said, he's crying, and then Keith kind of shows up with his own food. Uh, David is kind of purposely telling Keith he was crying, because just the way he was sniffling. Well, if if you'll (laughs) notice, he was actually crying, and as soon as Keith came in the door, uh, he shut down. And and I kind of think that he's, he's almost sort of afraid to let Keith see him cry, because Keith is in such a bad mood, and he probably doesn't want to set Keith off. Mm-hmm. And that's that was my read on it. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I felt that I found it odd that Keith didn't ask, but my 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 note here is that Keith f- is too self involved at the moment to ask. Yeah. Commentary from Alan Ball was that Keith wants to ask, he just doesn't know how to. Oh. So it's kind of funny. It's just what, what I but what I love about that is we all he's the fucking creator so he could tell us exactly what it is but yeah. we are interpreting it our own ways you know yeah I guess that's why it's a great show the idea of him bringing food home and and you just see David is clearly extending an arm to him to share a meal together yeah that Keith doesn't give two shits about well yeah uh, the dinner that David said he was planning on making actually sounds really good um, yeah <laughs> and, and Keith brought home fast food you know yeah but just it, it, you know, it felt like a little kid with his mom, you know, just like, well, I was gonna make this, and it's like, oh, go ahead, maybe I'll, I'll I'll eat it later, you know. Yeah. Um, this is just kind of fuel for the fire, the fuel for the fl- the fuel for the fries, fuel for the fight <laughs> later on, right? Yeah. Like this is just kind of it's just amping up a little bit. It's it's issues that are building between the two of them that you know, yeah, it ultimately explodes. Yeah, and. I hated Keith in that scene. It's like, dude, oh, this, yeah. this 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 guy is trying to make a connection with you, and, and even if you don't care, there's something going on with him. Like, go ahead, make the food and just eat a little bit, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. It, it just uh-huh. do the bare minimum at least. <laughs> and, and, and this is someone that that Keith, 
supposedly loves, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A scene we have to mention, and, and it's Ruth is working at Nikolai's after, and and after pestering Nikolai with pictures of Maya, Ruth quits. Mm-hmm. Nikolai being fed up with Ruth having paid her, paid for him the eighty-seven thousand. Nikolai makes his first down payment towards Ruth in the amount of you definitely have the amount sixty-two dollars. <laughs> yeah, I knew you did. <laughs> <laughs> I read you. <laughs> That's probably only funny to me and you, just because of your emails. Well, yeah, um, I mean, my notes are, are... You've seen my notes at this point. They're insane. That's exactly... That's exactly... <laughs> and, like, what color was your shirt? Uh, no, no that joking. I don't... Know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only joking. I'm only joking. Um, there's not much from this scene, right? I mean, it, it's funny the way Nikolai plunks down $62 and, you know, slow week. Um, I thought it that's was... That's just kind of it. I, I guess... Go ahead. I thought it was really funny that she kept the money. <laughs> You know, she actually took it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. she did actually take it. That is funny. I didn't notice, uh, like I said before, I, I didn't notice how many... Because it, it's important to realize, too, that Nathaniel Fisher is not in this episode. And this definitely feels like an episode he would have been in, right? Yeah. With everything that's kind of going on. I think a scene with him, between him and Nate, as Nate is like... like Later on, when when the, the little tour of the funeral home, if they had had a scene together there, I think it would have been really nice. Yeah, but I, I I feel like what we got in lieu of that was, like I said before, each Fisher they all get a scene with each other, yeah, and a rather emotional scene, you know, yeah, because uh, the scene here with um, Nate and Claire, I, uh, Claire calling out Nate on his relationships. Uh-huh. As as a seventeen or eighteen year old, what do you have to say about that? Well, the the sort of punchline to all that is, you know, no one ever, no one I ever dated ever, you know, attack someone with a knife or a gun. <laughs> you know, after she she kind of gives him a little bit of shit about his relationships, and yeah, and and he's like, well, at least I never dated Billy. <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I don't know. I was just just the idea of, and I hate because what's funny is. She has a point at the end, you know, that you're not fully dealing with any of what's going on. Yeah. But I don't want a fucking 18-year-old telling me that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Despite it being correct and maybe that's just me, that's that's the that's the that's the man in me, like, you know, just the idea of of you telling me that like get some get some heartbreaks get some shit thrown on you under your belt and then come tell me that you know well yeah i mean if claire had made a statement like that in season 5 maybe you know it would have yeah 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 like i said it, it is nice to hear someone tell nate that cuz i mean you it, it, with great acting cuz you see it on nate's face where he's like i want to yell at you i want to i want to kind of say what how wrong you are but you you have a point yeah <laughs> you know and I really like that. Even though you're younger and all this, and even though I'm, I'm wiser just by default because of age, you kind of have a point. And I, re- I just really like that sibling moment, you know. Mm-hmm. Another quick scene that we have to mention because I imagine it has bigger repercussions in the seasons to come. Uh, Rico has now bought into the Fisher and Sons funeral home. Oh, yeah. In, in the amount of 75000 for 25%. Yeah. I did like how Rico... You know how how I guess the actor played this scene where he's kind of firm and, and and standoffish when they're talking, and then they go 
they go in the back to talk and they sort of Rigo kind of crum- not crumbles but you could see he's nervous yeah uh, anything from this scene that you got because I just thought it was just something a plot point well yeah when Nate takes it, when Nate and David go into the other room and actually talk about this and and Nate says I think this is a good idea you know the unspoken truth here is they don't know if Nate is going to be alive in a week I thought that's why he said that yeah to David. Right, so it's like maybe you should have a partner, and who better than someone who's been working for us for you know this amount of time? I also think that Rico kind of agreed to the seventy-five for twenty-five a little too quickly, you know, way too quickly. I mean, he, like you could have, uh-huh. yeah, he could have negotiated down the the price and up the partnership, you know, but no, he was ready to make that deal. I guess he just wanted in, no matter what yeah. it took, you know. Yeah. Uh, it just reminds me of the story, and I don't even know if this is funny. There was a, a friend of mine who was selling part of his business, and then when he was asking people, he was messaging people about it, he was like, oh, how much do you want for it? And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm looking somewhere in between 30, 25, 20, 15. Like, he, <laughs> he was, he was, he was uh, bargaining against himself, where it's like, all right, well, what about 10? You know, like, if you're going to start at 30 and give me down to 15 without me even having to say anything. Uh, well, yeah. I, when I lived in L.A., uh, I worked for a magazine, and we sold advertising. And by the way, I'm really bad at that. Um and we learned a little too late that you know you need to you need to set your prices high and negotiate down because mm-hmm. people saw our prices which were actually really good, but then they wanted to negotiate down and we couldn't you know we couldn't do that you know yeah so yeah it's uh, yeah I think Rico gave in a little too quickly. <laughs> when you say you're bad, are, are you a bad negotiator? I'm just bad at advertising sales. <laughs> I, I'm just I, yeah I'm awful at it. Yeah yeah. I'm someone who's just way too much of a straight... When I say this, I don't mean like I'm such a truthful person. When I say I'm a straight shooter, is like I'm just thinking of stuff I've sold on Craigslist, and I've just been like, it's $50, and I'm not going to start at $75. I'm not going to go down to 45 or mm-hmm. 25 I'm just letting you know it's $50. Yeah. Uh, I guess I'm bad in that sense, because who knows? You know, If I put it at 75 I maybe could have got 60 uh, this is the negotiating podcast with David and Victor. <laughs> <laughs> Negotiation tactics. Yeah, if, Fuck, how did we get here? Yeah, if you're selling advertising, start high and negotiate down. Trust me. There you go. <laughs> and we get David. Uh, we get David. We get uh, Nate and Brenda round two. Yeah. But in a much more serene manner. I was trying to come up with an analogy, and the closest thing I could come is like an acoustic version of like a Slayer song. <laughs> just because, like, <laughs> just because just it's like they have they talk about more things here and more impactful things than they did in the actual fight, which oh, makes sure. sense, yeah. right? Because in a fight, you just want to fucking rip each other's heads off. But here, it's just I can't believe how calm Nate is. But also, if you factor in everything that's going on in his life, I get it. But their conversation, it's its now, I'm not going to lie here. I, I was going to go back to this conversation to put down my notes, but I know there was a few things in here that I did want to touch upon. Can you take the reins from me for this for this, this conversation between the two of them that they have? Well, I mean, this is their post-breakup conversation. He starts to talk and she starts to apologize and and he's like, you know, no, let me finish. Like he needs to, he needs to talk to her. She finally gets a word in edgewise and says, you know, I have a serious problem, Nate. And, yeah. But she still can't bring herself to actually say that she's a sex addict. Yeah. Yeah. And That's funny. Yeah, she can't say it. She can only show him. 
She just gives him the book and is just like, here, look at it. You know, and then they had this this little exchange about how what they got from each other, and he says that she made him feel more, you know, and... Right. I kind of like that, because I, I, I felt like it was true. Yeah. They, they both felt alive more than they probably have in any other previous relationships. Uh, I, I guess I guess I remember the one thing that did stick in my head here was that uh, Brenda was like, I did this because I love you. Yeah. I, I understand, as shitty as that is, I understand it. Well, yeah, her, when she actually got into her rationale behind that, behind that, um, that thought or, you know, that statement. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can kind of see how she got there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just liked how peaceful it was. And then I also liked, cause I feel like it's such a fucking show trope where Nate's like, I'm having surgery tomorrow. And Brenda's like, oh my God, can I come? And his, Nate's like, nope. I'm just telling you I'm going to have surgery, and that's the end of it. Yeah, and the look on her face when she realizes that the door on this relationship is closed. Right, and he right. And he is so resolved. Yeah. It's and peaceful. That's got to be really peaceful in a relationship to be like that That resolved. Yeah, yeah, you know, but she looks devastated. I mean, a couple of, uh, a couple of lines before, she was even starting to broach the subject of, you know, maybe getting back together sometime down the road. Yeah, and and he shuts her down there, and then she asks if she can come, and he says no. You know, like no, we're done. And that's typical relationship stuff where it's like, uh, I know what I did wrong. I know this relationship isn't going to work, but maybe somewhere down the future this can. Instead of just fucking putting an end to it, you know, yeah. like Nate does. Nate's like, nope, out of here, going to get surgery. You can't even come. You know, it's it's funny to mention is that. They weren't boyfriend girlfriend. They were engaged. Yeah. Uh so you know the, the idea of like no, you can't even come there. You can't even be there at my surgery, whatever. Uh, I like that from Nate, uh, completely shutting her out. Yeah. That's what I like. <laughs> you know, part of me wonders. You know, if if she if Brenda had a time machine and could go back and and make different choices. You know, it, would she and Nate have worked? That's a great question. What do you think? No, like, if you had the ability to go back, like, you know, one of those rare things in life that, rare, never fucking happens. You could go back in, in the back in the past with the hindsight. Do you think it could work? I think that if she hadn't started down that road of this horrible self-destructive behavior and maybe gotten some therapy, I think that she and Nate could have worked. I... I don't think, I think like it was something that had to happen regardless. Okay. Like I, I think it was part of her, 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 I hate the fucking word destiny, but I, like, I, I thought it was part of her person, her Brenda as a person. I feel like it's something she needed to go through. I feel like everyone in life has something they have to go through, you know, whether it's something shitty, something great, whatever. And I don't think. I think it would have been something else. Like it might have been eating. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? It might have been. It might have been actual drugs. I just think it's something that would have had to happen for mm. Brenda. Okay. Um, and we could kind of talk about. I, I guess. I guess a, a teaser for later on in the episode. There's a reason behind that for me. Okay. Uh, but we get sort of. I guess this, this is the actual part two of the Brenda and Nate fight, where we get Keith and David. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. What sparks it here is David asking Keith to attend Claire's graduation with him. What was funny in the commentary, and the reason why Alan Ball had did it this way is like, 
everything that, that you know, is level on the surface, it, it's always the stupid little things that spark this kind of fight. Yeah. You know, no fight is actually about, did you buy bread at the store? It's it's always about something way larger. Uh-huh. Uh, David's line of, you know, what are we, roommates? I thought that was rather fitting, because they did feel like roommates these past two episodes. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, that's when he starts to leave the room, and, and he says, you know, what are we, roommates? It's like I don't even exist. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's what sets Keith off. And so basically they flare up about David not communicating while David's saying, uh, you know, I can't communicate with you. You're too selfish. Uh, I, I guess I'll leave you to the, to the, the discussion of the fight. But just, I, just something I wanted. Because like, you know what? Let me hold it. Your actual fight. Before we get to the, physical, the physicality of the fight. Mm-hmm. Their actual fight. Um, are, are they both in the right and they're both in the wrong, I guess? You know, it really depends on where you've been in a relationship. I think that if uh-huh. I think that there are people out there who could identify with with Keith's point of view, and there are people who could identify with David's point of view. You know, the the part that I, that makes me not like Keith in this fight is when um, when David says, "I thought I thought I was your family," and he says, "Well, you're not." Mm. You know, mm. and in my notes, I even have, "Dude," <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yes, that probably has to hurt to hear. Although yeah. Keith is right, like they're not engaged well, or anything, yeah. but like it's like okay, we're not family, but I was here with you, helping you through this whole Taylor thing. So yeah, yeah. it's kind of like a you're not family, but you know, yeah, I don't know. You, you know what the problem is? Because I yes, you're right. Like it depends of of where you're coming from with it. I wish they made Keith a little bit more. Not an asshole. Because then I really wouldn't know where to stand in this fight. Because I'm totally with David, mm-hmm. and it's just because I saw him fucking bring fast food in for only himself, and he sees him crying and doesn't say anything about it. So it's kind of where I come in with David. If they would have made Keith just a little bit less, you know, uh, more ambivalent, I don't know if that's the word, more gray instead of black, I could yeah. have, you know... I kind of, I don't know where to stand on it. Well, yeah, I mean, if Keith had even asked why David was crying. David yeah. could have pushed them away, but I, they would have been there. And I really would have not known where to go in this fight. Yeah, and, you know, Keith just assumes it was about Taylor. And that's when David screams at him, I was crying about my brother, you selfish <laughs> yeah. fuck. You know. I thought, you know, it's funny when you said that. I thought when they were fighting, I thought that was going to be like the, the, the pouring water on the fire. You've been like, wait, what? What are you talking about? But no, they keep fighting, you know? Well, yeah, that, that's when things actually turn physical. And that's exactly to my point. And it's like I, t- I, I messaged you. I think it was the first thing I, I, I messaged you about after I watched the episode. No. What's his name in real life? Is it Matthew St. Saint, Saint Patrick? Matthew St. Patrick. Matthew St. Yeah. Patrick. There is no goddamn way in hell Michael C. Hall can withstand a push from... I'm going to mess no. up. I'm going to mess up his name as Keith St. Michael David. From Keith... <laughs> that hard i'm talking about the no. physicality of his actual torso hitting the wall and something great that you pointed out the fucking yeah. set shakes <laughs> well yeah when when keith shoves david against that wall you actually see the set shake now here's the deal in sitcoms and stuff it's not uncommon to see like if someone closes a door really hard it's not uncommon to see the wall shake because sitcom sets are 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 far more temporary right we're talking about a high-value production yeah. on HBO. <laughs> he had to really shove Michael C. Hall against that wall really hard. 
And on top of Michael C. Hall not being able to withstand, I mean, he would have been unconscious, is what I'm trying to say, because his head, yeah, his probably. head would have hit the wall. And I don't know if this is a, a sheetrock, but there would have been a, a David-sized impression <laughs> in the wall. Oh yeah. The second part of that is Michael C. Hall being able to wrestle down Keith. Not in a million years. <laughs> no way. No. I mean, listen, Michael C. Hall could wrestle me down. Like, yeah, I bet you, you yeah, like, I bet you he could kick my ass. I bet you everyone in the show could kick my ass except, like, Maya. And even then, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> even though, but, yeah, I was like, again, again, we, we I'm, I'm taking such extreme nitpicking here, because that, the point of this fight is not to say, oh, my God, that would never happen. It was just to kind of show what happens. But that was just kind of the two things I just wanted to, I guess, add some light to, to what's going on. Yeah. But here they finally fall to the floor. We get a cutaway scene. I forget exactly what it goes to, but it comes back to them. And what we see here is scratch marks on both. Well, there, <laughs> there are scratch marks. My question to you is, who did the scratch marks? Keith does go to look at his nails. Well, what, what he actually does is he dabs his, uh, his lip, which makes me think that David bit his lip. David bit his lip. No, uh, Keith's lip. So you, so you don't think there was any actual scratching? No, there was definitely scratching. Because they have the three scratch well, marks say- across their chest. But I don't what know what if I'm that was... Is, uh-huh, uh-huh. What I'm saying is in that moment when Keith sticks his pinky on his lip, yeah, I think he's actually checking for blood. Oh. But, okay, then who do you think actually did the scratch marks? Again, inconsequential doesn't matter. I, I don't know. I have David as a scratcher. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, he... Well, I mean, Keith has the strength, but I think that David could probably be kind of scrappy. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. David's scrappy, whereas Keith is probably lumbering, if that makes sense. You know, just as a side note, I thought it would have been really funny if the show had been a little more daring. And when they hit the floor... I mean, they obviously had sex. Yeah. It When they hit the floor, if David had ended up being the top. <laughs> because... We're supposed to assume that Keith is a top and David is a bottom. Mm-hmm. I just think it would have been really funny if no, <laughs> like that's if that's where had, the fight led to. Yeah, and and David turns out to be the top. <laughs> you know, what's so funny about that too is I am at the scene now where they are both laying on the floor, mm-hmm. uh, and yep, there goes Keith. And now I'm giving commentary. Keith goes to look. Yep, and he doesn't know. Uh, to <laughs> <laughs> to close out this scene, uh, the reason why they look at each other, Alan Ball says that he didn't do a good job of it, is they were supposed to look at each other with the look of, who are we? Like, who? <laughs> what, what did we just do and who are we? But it doesn't really illustrate that. Uh, we move back to Nate, and he's putting away Aaron's cremains. And we get this little, like I said earlier, this tour of the Fisher funeral home that mm-hmm. ends up on a shot of Nathaniel with his two sons, uh, a picture of sorts. Nate comes upstairs to gather Ruth and heads to the hospital. This scene here, and again, this is also something that we, we spoke about prior prior to recording, is uh, I guess this scene here kind of really hit me in the gut. Uh, it, it sort of made me think of my own life and parenting. I'm not a parent, mm-hmm. but just, you know, my relationship with my parents. <laughs> the line where Ruth says you're everything and you don't even know it. My first yeah. watching, I didn't well up, but I was, you know, 90% loaded, ready to well up. Because, like, fuck, yeah. I fucking felt that in my, my heart. 
You know, yeah, when, when Ruth says uh, she could have been a better mother if she had known what was going on. And Frances Conroy is such an amazing actress. She, she really she, is. She just about had me crying like a baby. <laughs> just that whole scene and just, just the way Nate is, you know, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. And then and, and Ruth Frances Conroy just, you know, I won't let you go. Like, oh, man, it's yeah. like getting me right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, man, that's just so powerful, and that's such a, a great... Oh, God, I don't even know how you would feel as a mother in that scenario, you know? Yeah. Where, where you felt like your son was protecting you from yourself, and it's not supposed to be like that. Um, yeah, that, that's such a, a great scene. Well, yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that moment when she says, you know, you're not supposed to protect me, I'm supposed to protect you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, you know, Francis Conroy... Just give her all the Emmys, <laughs> like right now. Yeah, yeah. This leads to another Fisher sibling moment where Claire is getting ready for graduation. And it takes how long for David to notice the smell of weed in her room? It, it takes a few seconds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, you, I, I didn't know you are just allowed to smoke in your room like that. Like, you don't put towels under your door. It is a great moment when, when you know... You know, Claire's like, do you want to smoke something? And David's like, yeah. Yeah. It was such a non-David moment. You know, are you smoking pot? You want some? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it leads to some great moments too, right? Because it kind of, like, you know, they do the, the imitation of Nikolai, of, of the Lord have mercy. Oh, yes. Just such great, great. I just really loved. Again, like I was saying, like, these all these scenes made me start to think about my own family and... Um, you know, I'm not going to get too personal, but this scene here, like like sibling, brother, and sister kind of got me. I was like, oh, fuck, that's... I guess they have a great relationship and that they could do this. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Claire with her siblings, they don't... I don't know where they stand, you know? I know where, where Claire and Ruth stand. Yeah. I think... I really... I re- actually, I really like um, Claire and David when they're in scenes together. And we got a little taste of, of this sort of dynamic in the previous season when uh, uh, David borrows one of her shirts to wear out to the clubs, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And I guess he was, I guess besides Nate, but Nate kind of showed showed up. Claire was probably the first person to know that David was gay, right? Probably. Actually, yes, she was because... Uh, At the funeral. She figured, yeah. Yeah, she figures it out in the pilot. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. This kind of here is kind of where, where I had written the note that the Fishers are so close physically, yet they're so apart emotionally. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. they're able to have this moment, but they're still like just like miles and miles between them, um, oh, which yeah. is odd because how close-knit is this family? I mean, by, by this point in their stages of their lives, one of them would have moved away. And I guess, right, like, like uh, uh, Nate did, um, but just to be so close-knit yeah. in a family funeral home, you know. And I think that if if David wasn't, if he didn't feel obligated to stay home and work for and work for the funeral home, I think that he would have left and he would have gone to law school. And, yeah, you know. absolutely, I agree. Before we get into the end of our episode, uh, we see that Brenda has packed up and moved out. Uh, we're in agreement that this is just her kissing goodbye to all of this, everything that's happened for her this past two seasons, just wiping her own slate clean. Yeah, part of me kind of wonders, did they end the season with her in this way because maybe Rachel Griffiths 
wasn't going to come back. I'm, I mean, she does come back, but... Yeah. I mean... Usually... You, 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 you have a point because, again, like I said, just, just the more I talk about it, just the more it feels like this could have been a series end because, mm-hmm. you know, this is... Brenda had her fuck up and now she's she's going to presumably go start a new life somewhere else in California, you know? Actually, you know, if, if Brenda did leave California and and was going to go somewhere... I see her moving to some little town in the middle of nowhere where a no one knows her and b she can have a completely different life. I'm with you. I also think of how long would she be able to stomach that? Cuz that's kind of well, I feel like everyone has that dream in their eye in their head like man, what if I just one day picked up and moved to a to a small town in fucking Montana. Maybe Montana is too desolate, but just that idea, but it's like it's sooner or later you drive yourself crazy, no? Well, I've lived in L.A. and I lived in Raleigh-Durham. I live in a, in a town of about 4,000 right now, mm-hmm. and some days I'm clawing at the walls. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you're right. Brenda wouldn't survive there, but right. if she was going to leave and start a new life someplace, I can see her at least trying. Yeah, that. yeah, trying, trying at the very least. Uh, I found that funny that her entire life is packed up into a Volkswagen Mini Golf or whatever that car was. Yeah. <laughs> And to close out our episode, Nate is getting ready for surgery, and he has a bald head on and all. Uh, yeah. I guess before you get into it, to me, those marks where they were going to cut mm-hmm. uh, scared the shit out of me. It was just like, whoa, oh, that's yeah. fucking, that's like scary. Uh, your your thoughts on the bald head? When TV shows have a character that shaves their head or, or you know goes bald or whatever, like suddenly. It's, it always drives me crazy because I, I don't like going to get my hair cut. So what I do is I bought a pair of hair clippers and I let it grow out as long as I can stand it. And then I just cut it all off. Mm-hmm. When you do that, you have a tan line. because <laughs> and, and Nate does not have a tan line. And it drives me crazy every time. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. You always look kind of funny because you are... Your 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 head is all white, is what you're saying. No matter how white yeah. of a person you are, yeah, it, it's it's like when you uh, it's like a tan line on a bathing suit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Your hair does block the sun, right? At least somewhat. <laughs> so you're gonna have a tan line. Uh, I think to your point, and we were kind of wondering off mic: is this a bald cap, or did Peter Krause really shave his head? To your point, there's a very small line of 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 demarcation and i think that is why it is the bald cap mm-hmm. and it's not uh, uh his actual head shave because i think you, to your point we would have seen a much larger line i mean it's a really good bald cap uh, 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 yeah bald cap because you know normally when shows have actors use those it looks kind of puffed out yeah. because their hair their hair is still under it right but they they did a really good job. I have to I, you know I have to give them that. Uh, the scene is on right now, and yeah, there is. The, the first is the overhead shot, and you really can't tell. Now that I mm-hmm. now it's the scene where he turns his head over, and we see the lines. It's definitely a bald cap because there's almost no line of demarcation between his head and his skin. So for mm-hmm. sure, it's a bald cap. Bald cap. I'm calling it a bald cap. <laughs> yeah, I, I kept trying, I kept wanting to call it that too. <laughs> and you know we also get a little nice scene where where David and Claire show up to console Ruth. 
The anesthesiologist injects Nate. He counts backwards from 10, stops at 6, and is in surgery. This mm-hmm. ending shot where, where, where Nate is running in this desolate random street and we hear the, you know, the faint sounds of the surgery room and this bus shows up or... or Rather, it's the bus that hit Nathaniel, right? Oh, it, it is? Uh, here's Well, there's two ways to look about it. There's either the bus that hit Nathaniel or it's the bus at the end of that pilot that, that Nate is across the street and he looks at. I mean, I, I'm, I'm guessing that is just because that bus plays such a role. I completely forgot about the, the bus. I mean, again, yeah, I'm... I'm, I'm Kind of just going off. I just kind of going off what I what I know. Mm-hmm. Alan Ball didn't say anything about this. I just assumed that was the bus because I feel like, I feel like it shows up somewhere else during later in the season. What's sort of funny about the bus, and, and I even tried to look into this. Uh, a, a really good friend of mine wrote a book, and at the end of it, the protagonist. Uh, I'm not giving the title or, or his name or anything, so it's not a spoiler. Mm-hmm. Um, the the protagonist and the person he's in a relationship with both die, mm-hmm. and at the end of the at the end of the book, they end up on a bus together driving through the desert, and I and I thought okay, the two scenes are so similar. I actually asked him, you know, is there is there some symbolism? Is there some kind of folklore that that got that you both that you and the the writer of this episode both adapted? Yeah, you know, yeah. and uh, and he said no. That as far as he knows, it, it was just a an image that came to his mind, but the setup and the bus and everything, it's very, very similar. Yeah. I didn't realize till right now that the, 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 the driver actually, I, I noticed cause he noticed, mentioned it on the commentary that the, the driver's seat is empty. And mm-hmm. Alan Ball was just saying how it's like, this is David and David, Nate kind of looking at death. And it's like, well, who's the driver? What happens here? I guess we're, we're in this like purgatory state between life and death where mm-hmm. I guess it would go either way. Uh, the bus has downtown on it, so let's just say that this is the bus, whether it's the bus that hit Nathaniel or the bus that he looks at at the end of the pilot, but beautifully done, and oh, yeah, I yeah. I wish, I don't know how, I don't, it's fucking hard to say this. All right, let's put yourself in the shoes of 2002. Okay. Do you think Nate died? Here. I think the... I think he could have, yeah. I would say, I would, see, TV was such a different thing back in 2002, you know. Because, um, I mean, this isn't a show where a death is the is the cliffhanger, you know. It's more of mm-hmm. certain stories kind of um, wrap up. See, I would have taken this as, I just knowing me and my sensibilities, I would have taken this as Nate died. Um, yeah. Just because it's kind of, just the whole imagery that the show deals with and all of this, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, when when Nate is looking at the bus and it dissolves to white, I half expected, you know, Nathaniel Fisher Jr., 2000, you know, whatever year to 2002. I half expected that to happen. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, yes, definitely could have happened, you know. I'm with you there. Definitely with you. And that wraps up our episode. Did I gloss over anything, or is there anything more you'd like to talk about? The thing that, that just flashed in my head was when uh, Vanessa and Rico are talking, and they're hanging curtains in their house, um, and she's trying to convince him, you know, to 
to get them to make uh, him partner. In the next room, the water's running. Yeah. And, and, and I guess Julio's running a bath or something. And she keeps screaming for him to turn off the water. I have expected them to go in and find, and find him drowning in the tub. <laughs> uh, fuck, for a show that's already so dark, that would have been really dark. <laughs> but I, I think they were actually trying to fake us out. You think so? Because it, hmm. Yeah, because it's such a setup for a moment like that yeah. on this show. Yeah. And they kind of you know, they, the just got the money and everything. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. That, I mean, it didn't cross my mind, but that does definitely not mean that, that it wasn't there, you know? I, I on the other hand, was wondering why was why these writers, they sit there and they make it a purpose for stuff like that to happen. Why was that scene there, you know? Um, well, well, yeah, I mean, beyond Vanessa convincing Rico to talk to uh, David and Nate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So... Well, that wraps up our our season two. Uh, any comments on season two, or, or I guess where we're at in the show th- thus far? I have, I do have one comment myself, but uh, is there anything you'd want to express on on the the show? Uh, no, so far? you you go ahead. You might jog something out of me. Uh, I am glad to get out of season one and two because I felt like season one and two. It's crazy to say this because of where we're at now, but. I wanted, if this makes any sense, I wanted to get out of the the, the, the standard definition version of this show, because now we finally moved yeah. to, uh, I, guess, I guess, 1080p. I don't know. These black bars are now removed from here oh, yeah. on out. So I just kind of feel like we're kicking up dust. You know, we're 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 definitely progressing. Um, I do like where. See, I read that some some of season three and some of season four get some flack and i never had any flack for this show but i kind of read why people complained about what they didn't like and it was kind of like oh shit i kind of get it now i just feel like now we get into uh we i feel like we even though it's not true we get out of this 2000 ish feel early 2000 ish Mm -hmm. feel and i feel like we move a little bit more towards mid 2000s even though the next season is 2003 so it's kind of stupid what i'm saying <laughs> yeah the the show sort of hits its stride yeah yeah uh we know we know what the characters are we know what not to expect i, I guess is differently than what to expect you know mm-hmm. i'm mostly glad that that we are actually done with you know kroner and right and that right kind of right because that you know as as fun as that was and as challenging as it was for the fishers to deal with it it was dragging. Well, there's only um, so much you could do with it. It was either they take over, or they don't, <laughs> right? Like yeah, um, you know, and and I don't, I, I don't know if we see Mitzi ever again, but I I was sort of hoping that they would have uh, uh that they would end up in a situation where uh, Mitzi dies and for some fluke reason Fisher and Sons actually handles her funeral. <laughs> it, I think that would have been really fun. That's a fun podcast to do where uh um what what cat what what different different storylines would you have liked to have seen happen um you know because kind of gabe is out there floating and i I know i i think they 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 tie up that storyline uh my mind's bouncing on ideas here but there is something and maybe i'll just edit this out the idea of if Six Feet Under happened today, and like today was season one in 2017. Mm-hmm. How differently would it go? 
when I watch the episodes, I think about that, you know, like, uh, when David was single, you know, he wouldn't go on one, you know, one nine hundred number of things. He would go on Grinder, right, right. You know, yeah, you know, things like that that have changed. There's something, and I'm, I'm I should have written this down because I thought it was something great of what, what the cha- oh Brenda would have been on Tinder. That's how she would have been meeting all these guys, right? Just would have oh, yeah. been yeah. sexual encounter after sexual encounter. Uh, damn, there was something with David. It would have not been the challenge of David coming out. It would have been something else, which I can't remember now. Well, I mean, if you look at it how different things are for uh, the LGBT community now. A lot of the things that David goes through in his struggles, I'm not going to say that they don't exist, but they don't exist in such a profound way. Right, right. There's a little bit of a, a, a twist to it or whatnot. Uh, yeah. I guess I guess something where my mind was going to is that Nate would have been flying in from Brooklyn, not Seattle. <laughs> right? Like, okay. I, I thought there was something there with that. I'm trying to think of... I guess Ruth would have probably been on Facebook a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I, and I could even see her, like, posting political memes. <laughs> yeah. and, and at the same time, sharing cookie recipes, you know? No, definitely, definitely. She was, All these pictures of Maya would have all been on Facebook already. Flooded your feed. Oh, yeah. If you were someone who kind of knew her, you would have deleted her from your your friends list already. Oh yeah, Ruth would Ruth would have posted every single one of those on Instagram, and you know she's showing these pictures to the family, and in their physical pictures. No, nowadays they would be on her iPad. Right, right, right. She's definitely like the woman who uh, would FaceTime you, and the camera's oh, yeah. up in her face, but she doesn't know how to use it. You know, like one of those. <laughs> uh huh. She thinks she's using the forward face camera, but she's right. not. <laughs> I'm trying to picture where I would have Claire, like what kind of what kind of person in high school she would be. Um, she would definitely be like an emo hipster. You think so? Like just yeah. like, oh, wow. I'm just trying to picture Claire in 2016 being an 18-year-old, you know. Uh-huh. Wow, we could talk about this for hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I mean, the show would be a lot more internet-based. But I wonder too yeah. if that's just a trope that people do where where if you what would happen if this was today that's the first place you go to is the internet you know mm-hmm. um, I think the deaths would have been a lot more gruesome oh yeah if, if if the show were being produced today yeah you would see a lot of I mean the the de- the deaths and the the bodies in the prep room are are completely tame compared to something like The Walking Dead. And I think that's almost to the show's benefit that this show is not made today because I think the artistic imagery done in it and the storylines, mm-hmm. I don't think people have the patience for that today. There's no way the, the first few episodes of season one. Like I know mm-hmm. I understand people today when they pick up this show brand new, they're like, oh, I always heard about this. I wanted to watch it. They love it. But I feel like people watch it with a grain of salt of like, I know this is a, was was a fifteen year old show, so I'm consuming it that way. I feel like if you aired Six Feet Under today in its current state, those first few episodes are a little tough to get through for for today's television watching audience. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not. Yeah. There's not. There's nothing. You know. There's no villain or whatnot. There's no like. It's not fast paced or anything. I'm not saying. I guess I am kind of saying people are dumb because there's a uni- <laughs> there's a unicorn drink that is fucking taking over the internet today. Um, yeah, and and as I understand it, it's disgusting. 
Um, so I, I just think it, it's it's I think we're fortunate to have this show air when it did, like just yeah. caught at the right time. I, I'm the same goes for Sopranos too. Like I don't think I don't know if you you've seen Sopranos, David, but actually I haven't. No, it, it's so it's it's. It's well done, so well done, but it definitely drags at points. I don't think that would have been able to keep up in today's, you know, in today's television where Netflix just puts out 13 episodes and it's just, here, go fucking binge watch, you know? Yeah. Um, the, yeah, the only thing I know about uh, The Sopranos is that people have very strong opinions about the finale. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, that's, that's, I, when I, when I started this podcast, it was either going to be Six Feet Under boardwalk empire or the sopranos i don't know much about the sopranos and i watch it and i do put it on as background noise i definitely think the sopranos is great if you take if you take the whole mob mentality out of mob mentality out of it there's still a lot there to 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 chew on mm-hmm. with that being said uh we've come to the end of season two uh i've been thinking about it for the past few weeks while me and david have been doing these episodes as to a timeline of when I'm going to come back with season three. Um, last season, I will admit, I was very ambitious where I put out one episode in between the two weeks and then jumped right into season two. I want to scale it back a little bit. I half want to uh, throw this, enjoy this podcasting more, so stretching out a little bit. I am a little busy over the next two weeks, so that's why I'm not jumping straight into season three. Uh, I will say less than a month for anyone who cares enough and is still listening. And that's really all I have news-wise for season three. I don't have uh, I have a few guests lined up, but I don't have a an actual release date. If that's something you care about, so yeah, mm-hmm. and you know, and if you're listening to this and you're worried, I'm gonna make sure Victor does this podcast at least <laughs> until I can do season four, episode five. Yes, <laughs> because I'm inked in for that one. Yes, so he yes. he has to do this at least until then. <laughs> Season, uh, episode 405 might be the actual finale, but, um, <laughs> well, no, like I said, I'll, um, I'm just, if you understand podcasting and it's why the reason why I'm going to say this is because I, I want you to, to go ahead and post this wherever it is you're listening, whatever. Uh, I do this for free. Obviously it does cost money to host the website, to put out the podcast, to have the RSS feed. And David, as you've seen these past three weeks, it does take time. There is yeah. there is a lot of watching and note taking and paying attention and you know we've been recording now for an hour and a half and it takes time of that and then there's the editing and whatnot. Uh, it's purely yeah. a passion project and I just want to take a little bit of time off just to uh, get back into it if that makes any sense. So with that being said, uh, David, you're on Twitter at Stuff Junkie. Mm-hmm. S-T-U-F-F-J-U-N-K-I-E. I didn't put that in today's show notes. I'll go back and edit that. And you could always find me. I'm on Twitter. I'm at Digging Podcast. We're on Facebook at Digging Six Feet Under. Uh, I always welcome, I'm trying to open it up to more guests who want to come on. Uh, I have a few episodes filled for season three. I have the majority still open. If you want to guest on the episode, if you have questions, comments or anything please always leave me an email i'm at digging six feet under at gmail.com and i would say and join us next week but i you are not joining me (laughs) next week with anything (laughs) so with that being said uh david thank you so much for these past three episodes you're quite welcome i've had fun yes me too and thank you for listening everyone we watch the shows we watch the stars 
Thank you for listening to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. Join us on the next episode as we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under. Please search and subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes under Digging Six Feet Under. The Digging Six Feet Under podcast is in no way affiliated with HBO or Six Feet Under, and the views expressed here are solely that of the hosts. No infringement is intended. Radio Gaga Radio Gaga